You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. Here we go. I have a bad feeling about this. Follow me, boys! You're not shinies anymore. Go, go, go! So I think this is a first. This is a first. This is the first episode of The Clone Wars Strikes Back where we are talking about episodes that actually aired in the proper order. It's, it's amazing. The last couple of shows have just been jumping around. These are three season one episodes, one right after the other. I am, of course, talking about the Malevolence Trilogy, which is what we've been discussing this week on The Clone Wars Strikes Back. My name is Dominic, and joining me, as always, is Kieran. Hello, Dominic. How are you? I'm fantastic. How about you? Oh, I can't wait to talk about this arc. As you were saying, this is one that's finally in chronological season order, and I think this is uh, a great arc uh, to talk about. Yeah. And also joining us this week, from Echo Base Media, we have David Delgado. Hello, Dominic and Kieran. Looking forward to talking some malevolence arc. Good stuff. Very good early arc. Yeah. And so, David, you're from, uh, you've you run a little thing called Echo Base Media. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about that first before we jump into the episode? Sure. Um, Echo Base Media, I started it back in, in spring of this year. Um, and we, we focus on setting up autograph signings with, uh, so far this year, it's largely been talent from Star Wars The Clone Wars that we work with. We uh, did our summer signing this year with Gwendolyn Yeo, um, who plays Nalase in the Malevolence Arc, and several other characters in the show. And then in last weekend, actually, um, I got done with our Dave Fenoy signing. That was General Krell in the Umbara Arc. And we, we list the the photographs and the trading cards and everything that get signed on our website in the Echo Base Media store um, to give collectors who don't get a chance to pre-order before we go and meet with the talent a chance to add the autographs to their collections. So um, <clears throat> we're looking forward to bringing some more Clone Wars talent to autograph collections, especially with the bonus content coming up early next year, and we'll eventually move on to some original trilogy stuff, but I'm just such a Clone Wars geek. I gotta have all of that stuff incorporated into what I'm doing at all times, you know? So it's been a lot of fun. It's been an adventure, and it's, it's... exciting to represent the clone wars in that way wow that, that's great that's really cool and uh and thanks to david and, and echo base media we actually got to sit down with gwendolyn yao analyse in the malevolence trilogy and a bunch of other cl- characters on the clone wars and uh, you can hear that interview right now and we are super excited to be joined right now by voice actor from this very arc we are ex- excited to be joined right now by Miss Gwendolyn Yao. Gwendolyn, welcome to the program. Hey, how's it going? Uh, doing great. How are you? 
I'm good. I'm in Los Angeles, and it's kind of cold today. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, but not as cold as Toronto. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, what, what qualifies as cold in, in Los Angeles? Oh, no. It's like 60. <laughs> it's like 60. <laughs> It's like oh. 60 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, you must, you mean, uh, yeah, it's got, that's, that's a nice sunny day for me. Um, <laughs> oh I would love for 60 degrees Fahrenheit today. In LA, if it rains, people literally die. Like, oh, literally no. get off the road if it just drizzles. We're, we're so spoiled. So, <laughs> you know, it's pathetic. But, oh, yeah. it, it's, it's lucky. That's what it is. If you get yeah. <laughs> Awesome. So, um start off by asking you if you can tell us a little bit about your, your background as an actor and how you were first introduced to Star Wars. Um, my background as an actor. Hmm. Well, I was born and raised in Singapore. Um, and I moved to the States when I was 11. And I think that's so I used to have this weird, I used to talk like this, you know, like this weird Singapore accent of which actually how David Filoni based my Peppy Bao accent on, which was really cool. And then I moved to the States and, you know, I started talking like this, sort of a formalized British. And they were like, <laughs> and these mean girls were like, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, oh, my God. So I think I just, I think that's why I started getting good at, you know, voice work and, and accents, just incidentally, that I was just bullied by mean girls. I was like, oh, I no. don't speak American English properly. Oh, yeah. No. So I think this is my, yeah, I just, <laughs> but I do like slipping in and out. There's all those different facets of, I think, the Singapore, the Singapore side and, you know, that Singapore is a British colony, so I have that sort of British side and, you know, the American side. So um, anyway, so I was just kind of like a big geek nerd when I moved here. I loved watching Star Trek and, <laughs> and like, sadly, Arsenio Hall. But anyway, um, and then um, I won a few pageants. I won the Miss Teen Chinatown pageant. I won Miss Asia America, Miss Chinatown USA. So I did a lot of traveling and and from there, it was a total ugly duckling story, I guess, even though I still feel like an ugly duckling inside. So, and then, um, so I just got a commercial, you know, I did commercials through, through, through the pageants and then I got, um, and then I got a, you know, a TV film agent and, um, my commercial agents actually told these voice agents about me. So I used to have a band, um, called the Gwendolyn Neo Trio and they came out to see me literally 10 years ago. How sad. And, um, they, you know, they were like, we want you, we, they signed me on the spot. And then I just started doing, you know, voice work. <laughs> um, in terms of the clone wars, I actually, I just, it was just regular audition out of the booth and, um, it was for Nala and um, I think David has heard the story, but, you know, there was a picture of her and I just pictured her long, her long, long neck <laughs> and, and these little lips. And so I, I, tr I tried it like this, just really small, like this. So I did a take and it was, it was a slightly more Britishized accent. And Kieran, forgive me. <laughs> no, that's all right. It's very, very, very good accent, I have to say. Oh, thank you. So, um, so I tried one take with the Britishized accent. Then I did one where she was much more... I'm um, just formal like this. That was not as British, but slightly more formal American. And so David really like they just listened and they booked me and and then me and Dave just hit it off so well. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then he just kept inviting me back to do different characters. So wow, that, that's a, that's a quite the story to go from from beauty pageants to a band to voice acting. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 not the typical story you expect. I have to say. Really? Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> um, so you did mention Peppy Bao, um, who yeah. is uh, a Gungan, and for most <laughs> fans, when they think of Gungans, they think of Jar Jar Binks. Um, so I have yeah. to ask, 
what's your opinion of Jar Jar, and uh, what was your reaction when you found it? You you were playing a Gungan. Okay, first of all, this is really funny because I flipped out because I was like, it, Dave was teasing me. He's like, "You're gonna play um, Jar Jar Binks' girlfriend." I'm like, "What? <laughs> what? I'm like, that's crazy." <laughs> And then I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, can you get me one in real life? He's like, go on, stay focused. I was like, <laughs> so anyways, no, I love, are you kidding? I grew up with Star Wars and that was actually one of my favorite characters with the floppy ears and he was silly and I was so thrilled. And, um, and, um, so I was just kind of nerding out on it a little bit. And Dave is like, well, actually the fans don't really like Gungans as much as the other species. And I was like, why? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> they're like stupid. I'm like, they're not stupid. So anyway, why do the fans not like Gungans as much? Um, I think I, I honestly I don't get it. I think people were just annoyed by Jar Jar that they take that and project it onto the entire species. But people seem to forget that Gungans are, are pretty ferocious warriors. Um, yeah, we, we saw that in Episode One. Um, and, and, and I think I think it's safe to say I'm, I've never asked David about his opinion on, on Gungans, but I know Kieran and I are both uh, are both Jar Jar supporters. Um, so it's a safe space here for, for like, no, no, I love it. Safe space. Yes. (laughs) And so, yeah, I actually loved it. And, you know, in all my years acting, I've actually never played a Singaporean before or based something with a Singapore accent before. So it was really cool when, you know, he was like, Hey, Gwendolyn, I think we were doing, uh, I don't remember. It was the Gungan, the, the third character I was doing. And we were just talking and, He's like, hey, can you do a, you know, do some of your Singapore accent? So uh, Singapore, I was like, I talk like this, huh? you know? And it's like, hey, hey, how are you doing, Dominic and, and Kieran and David? You know, how are you guys doing, right? So and then he was like, so he's like, okay, okay, cool, cool. So he could say, me to use the things, huh? Yeah, yes, let's go, yeah. So and then it became this kind of Singapore, Jamaican, like bouncy kind of language. And I was like, this is so cool. So... That's great. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, it's like its own dialect that I could actually apply. And it's so awesome because, you know, people's uh, typical accents, you know, like Australian or New Zealand um, and all those different different characters. Like we just he re- he likes it kind of raw and kind of real. So you get to apply your wow. uniqueness to the characters, which is super cool. That's fantastic. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, let's, I want to ask you about another one of your characters, um, which was Cato Parasiti, the, the bounty hunter from season yeah. two. Yeah. Um, she was a, a changeling, and we've only ever seen one cha- uh, one other changeling in the Star Wars universe, which was Zam Wessel. Um, mm-hmm. Did you draw any inspiration from, from the portrayal of Zam Wessel in episode two, or was it an entirely new character? Um... I don't know that character. I'll be honest. Uh. <laughs> oh my god! It's like I don't like. It's funny. I do a lot of video game voices. They're like, "What's your what? What's your favorite game that you play?" I was like, "Super Mario Brothers." <laughs> <laughs> they just start crying, and I'm just like, "I'm sorry." Um, I I'm not as big of a nerd out as like. I mean, Dave is crazy, and you guys know more than me. In fact, speaking of Kato. David, who's honest with this, he was the one that let me know that there was an action figure. <laughs> I was like, I have an action figure? He's like, yeah, I'll send you one. I was like, shut up. That's cool. Um, so I usually find out a lot of stuff from the fans. So um, uh, so I just, I just, you know, I, I just saw this change link in a pair of city. And, and um, it was funny. That was the episode that Seth Green was on. And, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of his. So it was really cool to work with him and the whole cast. And, um and it was funny. He was like, stop killing me off, Dave. Every time I do a character, you kill me off. And, um, yeah, a couple of my characters, I'm like, don't kill me off either. But, um, 
Um, it was cool to, to play her. I, I, it was kind of surprising that people really sort of took to her and the whole Bounty, Bounty Hunter kind of vibe to her. And it was fun playing, you know, a B-I-T-C-H. I sort of enjoy that. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, David's like, I can't put that together. It's actually, yeah, don't worry, David. You'll catch up. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Um <laughs> Okay, I'll, I'll try not to ask <laughs> uh, sorry, too, too nerdy a question with the next one. No, as long as I don't tell like a taller retard, you're like, here's retard Gwendolyn Yo. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like from episode six. Um, da, 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 da. I'm like, huh? Okay, anyway. <laughs> and all of you guys are so like informed, and I'm always like, so, anyways. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, wow. Um, I think, although, you know, we've talked about Pepe Bao, Nalise, Cato Parasiti. I think, I think the, the character that you played that had the most impact, at least on me, was, was Khalifa in the, in the season three finale. Um, and she was one of the, uh, you know, a quite, quite a strong leader. She was willing to, to sacrifice herself uh, for yeah. Ahsoka and, and her friends. Um, how, how did you approach that character? And um, did, did Dave give you any specific uh, direction towards um, playing a character like Khalifa? Yeah, actually, you know, it's a really cool story about, um, you know, it's, you know, how I got the part as a war. I mean, David already knew me from Nalise and it just kept opening up. But literally his assistant called me at home one morning. I was like, hello? She's like, I have Dave Filoni on the line. She's like, would you like to take the call? I'm like, no. I'm just kidding. I'm like, I've got another hour of sleep, okay? Just call back later. No, so um, so he was like, hey, Gwendolyn, I'm working on this character. She's our first Asian Jedi. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, don't make her eyes too small. He's like, it's cool. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm just playing. And he was like, he was like, so I'm kind of trying, I'm trying to base this character off of you. I was like, what? That was That's crazy. So cool. Yeah. And he's like, well, you always play such contained characters. And you know, when I'm talking to you, I'm totally, you know, silly. So I think he wanted... Um, to allow me to have more range and more emotional range. He's like, listen, this character, just like you described, you know, she's a leader. She's, you know, she's a kind soul. She's a little jaded, right? That she's sort of stuck in this place with her friends and she isn't sure, you know, she's sort of like hung up her Jedi cap as it were. So I was like, this is amazing. So when I read it, I cried, I admit, because, you know, it's Dave Filoni and George Lucas. Like, it's not like there's 200 executives and you have the script goes through rewrites and, and, you know, like, it's not like there's a lot of um, a red tape. So it's like Lucas goes, you know, talks to David and David talks to me. Like, it's, it's really amazing. So the storyline was so incredibly beautifully written. And, um, and so when we recorded it, I mean, literally, oops, sorry, it's my email. Um, so when we record it, it was, I mean, it was intense. It was kind of like doing a movie because I feel like when, it, when, when um, like the more serious voice work that you do, the higher the quality, the more film worthy it is, it feels like. And, you know, it's very intimate and it's very real. So you're going through those emotions. And I think they really care. Like when I did the arc with Ahsoka, I was like, oh my God, we're like, this is so amazing. The last part, you know, when, when she says, when she sort of says, you know, I am a Jedi and, and, you know, sort of acknowledges Ahsoka for helping her through this arc. I mean, it kind of reminded me of sometimes me when am I, I'm so sorry. Oh my gadgets are going up. Oh my God. Wait, that's my agent on a Sunday. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's my, so um, what the heck was I saying? Oh, um, what was I saying? <laughs> uh, we, were, we were talking about Khalifa and, and um, portraying her, uh, how it was felt more like a movie role almost. Yes, yes. 
So basically when I was, so when, when we finally got the episode, you know, um, I actually, when I first laid it down, the pictures were still only in black and white. It was amazing. You know, they were just doing sketch. And then, and because, you know, that's what I love about Star Wars and you guys loving it and any other sort of quality project that it's always about the story. You know, unfortunately, I did do a panel about this movie panel when I was sitting next to a couple of distributors and they were like, it's all about the big name. It's all about the genre. And I was the, the, the lone actor on, on the panel. And I said, no, it really is about story. I really feel that that's what connects people, you know. So to me, the fact that people really connect with Clone Wars really tells me that you know, like people still like story and good arcs. And for me, that arc particularly kind of reminded me of where I was. I think sometimes when I get kind of kicked, kicked in my teeth with the business or, you know, I don't get a role or I feel a little bit cynical or I've been hurt, you know, you just sort of feel a little bit down and feel a bit lost in this kind of foresty world of which, you know, it's kind of metaphorical for Khalifa. And I think it takes sometimes like a, a younger person or someone with like a light that kind of leads you out of it. You know, someone might think that's a godly light or some people might think it's youth or hope, whatever it is. And, you know, it keeps you inspired. It keeps you inspired. So it, it was really moving for me to, to play that part. And however cheesy it sounds like, that's why I love doing these podcasts. And I mean, you know, and, and meeting you guys because you're definitely younger than me, but um, don't look me up. <laughs> don't look my age up. It's like, you know, it's awesome to be able to like relive it and talk about it and that people still are interested and care about the work that you do. And it just makes, it makes you feel really good and keeps you going, you know? Yeah. And that, that's kind of the point of, of this podcast in particular, because unfortunately the Clone Wars series got, got canceled I know. this past, this past uh, summer. And, you know, it's the whole point of doing the show was sort of to keep remembering all of the good stuff from the Clone Wars as we sort of have have nothing until <laughs> Episode Seven comes out in a yeah, few years. Which, which at least um, I think I think the stuff is coming out. I think Dave announced that new stuff is coming yeah. out early next year, so it's going to be crazy. Not to say that I'm in it, but if I am in it, let's just say it's going to be crazy. All right. <laughs> um, so we do have another question, and it's a question that. You, you may not be able to answer, and if you can't answer it, don't worry about it. But just want to ask it, just in case. But there, there has been a picture uh, on the web circulating of a, of a Clone Wars recording se- session, which included yourself and a, and a bunch of other actors who played bounty hunters on the series. And this was uh, supposedly from an upcoming episode. And so, can you comment on whether or not that that episode will be seen as as part of the uh, bonus content that that Lucasfilm has, has promised the fans um, of finished Clone Wars episodes? <laughs> Um, I don't know if I can answer that question. Sure. <laughs> sure. I, I just had to ask. You know, it's, it's that picture no, has I had I, a, I wish I could answer. Sure. Yeah. That, that picture has had a, a lot of fans guessing and we've heard rumors that that episode will be part. We've heard that episode won't be part. And so we just, just had to ask. So um, I'll, I'll th- throw it over to, to Kieran and David. If you guys have any questions you'd like to ask Gwendolyn. Um, no, I think you've asked quite a lot of them. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm struggling here. I was, I, was, I was briskly writing notes down. Um, yeah, um, I, I suppose, I mean, is, is this probably in terms of all the projects that you've done, Gwendolyn, the most enjoyable working, yeah. working with Star Wars? I would say, and, I, and, you know, yeah, I would definitely say top five projects of all time. I mean, that sort of 
goes across film, film and television stuff and, and, you know, and uh, commercials or, or what have you, or even stage. But, but yeah, I mean, really, I think just the level of quality that's put into the, the, the episodes and, you know, usually with cartoons, you might do um, like a, you lay it, you lay it down the first time you might come back for pickups and that's it. But with, you know, for example, with Khalifa, I think I went back about four, three or four times to re-record certain, certain lines, certain arcs certain tones we we you know just picking up little breaths here and there so that the ending would be beautiful and when people put that much love and passion into it you can tell you can tell that dave just loves what he does and just it's so inspiring and he sets the tone so i love going to set well not to set but to studio set as it were and playing with with you know all these amazing actors and i especially love it when it's like they record it like a radio play and there's like 12 of us in there and you know it's like matt lanter's there and ashley and, and d baker and Corey burton and you know and 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 we're all just it's just such a blast just amazing and um it's also a shorter waiting time than when you're shooting a movie you know you shoot two pages a day so you're in your trailer and you're waiting for setups and all of that and i still love that don't get me wrong but you know in four hours you get there and it's sort of this concentrated time of play and you really just like dave doesn't judge you you know in any way we get to just be silly and as how i'm talking to you just cracking jokes and all of that so it was just so rewarding i think in terms of working with people that i respected and respecting the project you know absolutely no that sounds fantastic to be honest uh, getting okay. to work with all those different types of actors. Was there, was there any particular favorites that you that you enjoyed working with, or just the whole crew? I would say everyone's equally talented. I loved all their characters. I just, in terms of friendship, I'm probably closest to Dee Baker. We have the same agent, and we've worked. We were on a we were on a series um, a series together on Nickelodeon, and you know we see each other. You know, at, at we could quote unquote at the office, you know, even though we're, we never have like an office job, but we go in and audition and things. And so I've been on a couple of shows with him and actually we're on two series together, I think. And, um, just, uh, I love him. He's so talented and I respect him as a human being. And, you know, sometimes when you meet actors, you know, like, you know, I have, I have fan, I'm a fan of other people as well, besides having fans. And sometimes you meet them and you're like, Oh, why don't you nice, you know? <laughs> and then it kind of like the bubble bursts, but when it's, when you work, I think, with people who genuinely are, are kind and um, and that you respect on and off set, it's really awesome. And Dee and I, I remember we were just nerding out about sci-fi stuff, you know, when we were on that series. And, you know, and and he was just really, we just care about each other. And, you know, I, I, I really, I really appreciate that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Oh. And the, the limited exposure that, that that I've had to the Clone Wars cast, I, I have to say, none of them have disappointed. They've all been uh, fantastic people to meet, and you know, always super generous with their time for the fans and stuff. So it's a uh, uh, you know, and that's everybody from you know the smallest of roles to you know Ashley Eckstein and Matt Lanter. So it's a yeah, it's a, it's, it's a really incredible cast. Gwendolyn, we want to be respectful of your time, and uh, we want to thank you so much for uh, for coming on the show and, and talking with us today. Um, is there anywhere online where people can uh, keep up with you and, and, you, and your career? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, Twitter, at Gwendolyn Yo, and um, you can spell it out for them. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh, do I have to spell it out right now? It's like the longest name in the world, but... We'll, we'll spell it out, don't worry. Okay, at Gwendolyn Yo, and my Facebook is www.facebook.com 
a slash and then Gwendolyn Yo official fan page. And I'm actually launching my new website in the next uh, the next few days. I'm so excited. Awesome. And um, yeah, and it's got a own, its own voiceover sort of section and my music stuff, that, an album that I'm working on and, and, you know, my TV film stuff as well. So check it out as well. GwendolynYo.com and then at Gwendolyn Yo, and then the Facebook like page, which I assume you guys are going to like and follow. Of course. Of course. I think, I think I already, think we already do. At least, at least cool. I do. Cool. I don't I'll know. Get right okay. that. Yeah, yeah, you better jump on that. Awesome. I'll go ahead right on now. Here we go. Uh-huh. You better. You sound so sarcastic. You're like, yeah, I'm, not, I'm, not, right no, I'm not. It's, it's just his, his dry British accent. That throws you off. <laughs> he's, just, he's just naturally wry. <laughs> Well, um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. I had a blast and I can't wait to hear the interview. Right. Thank thank you for thank you for coming on with us. And, and Thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, you're yeah. welcome. Thank you. Nice of you to come on. And that, uh, that was not sarcastic either. Really <laughs> he was trying really hard. He's like, I'm smiling. I swear I'm smiling. Okay. <laughs> I'm actually smiling though. <laughs> All right, guys. All right. Thanks, Gwendolyn. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. And we want to thank Gwendolyn for taking the time out to join us on, uh, this week on the show. Uh, like, like she said, uh, you can find her Facebook page at facebook.com slash Gwendolyn Yao fan pa- official fan page. And you can spell, and her name is spelt, I promised her I'd spell it out, G-W-E-N-D-O-L-I-N-E space Y-E-O. And oh, just look that up on Facebook and Twitter um, and you should be able to find her. And share to like, follow, and all of that stuff. So now um, I'm going to jump into talking some Clone Wars now. Um, first, uh, I want to ask you guys, did you guys pick up the Season 5 uh, Blu-ray or, or DVD box set, or even the Seasons 1 to 5 box set, uh, Karen? Yeah, I picked it up, and I thought I'd annoy you very much, Dominic, by posting it before you got it. I yeah. thought I had to post a nice little picture. <laughs> yeah, for, Lucky for, Brits for got it a, a day early. <laughs> Oh, oh, that was beautiful. It was fantastic <laughs> to see. But um, I, I haven't seen all of it yet because, obviously, uh, we were looking at the Malevolence arc as well. So I thought, I've seen the Rebel Rebels arc. That's the first one. Mm. And um, I think that was, when I look back at that, I think it's actually a great arc. There's so much good stuff in there, and I'm really going to look forward to talking about that in the future. Uh, a couple of bits. The first bit that I was happy to see was that they moved Revival from being the first episode to where it should have been, when it would have been aired, which I believe is after the droid arc. Yeah. So basically you've got a four-part mall arc instead of having one at the beginning and then you come back to him later. So I think that will flow a lot nicer. The only trouble that I'm... Not trouble, but thing that I'm a little bit annoyed about is that the commentaries... I thought that these episode commentaries were going to be new stuff, but it seems like it's just from StarWars.com. I think we've all, all seen this, haven't we? From yeah. StarWars.com. Yeah, that was – that, that kind of – it bugged me a little bit that, that that's what they put on because, you know, I, I was hoping, you know, hoping for something like what we got for Season 4 because the Season 4 bonus features were superb. It was just a casual conversation between some of the creators. And, you know, for, for these arcs, you could really do something special, um, you know, especially the, the Ahsoka one or the Darth Maul one, the Young Jedi one, any of them. You, you, you get some of the actors in maybe. You get the animators, the writer. Um, you know, and instead we got what we had, we had already seen on, on StarWars.com, which was fantastic. You know, I loved watching those 
uh, mm. every week after after they aired. But you know, for that to be really the only um, major bonus feature on, on the arc it was, or on the on the on the set was a little bit a little bit disappointing. Um, David, did you pick up uh, one of the box sets? Um, I did. I picked up the season five DVD last week and um, ended up being pretty much all I did last week <laughs> other than going to work. It was nice to see stuff that I'd only seen when it aired, you know, and uh, revisit the um, the Onderon stuff, um, which which I agree. Um, it was a lot better with a second viewing. There's a lot of really interesting story stuff in there. Um and and then I of course saw the the mall arc in its proper order for the first time. I thought that was a really good good decision to rearrange the ordering so it would um, be a uh, it's a it's a better viewing experience when you have revival and then boom eminence with like the escape pod floating around. Um, uh, and I I I'd watched the. Ahsoka arc, um, the Young Jedi arc, I think that's all of season five, I guess. Um, it, it, it was all I did. Uh, and uh, so the, the stuff is from StarWars.com, because I saw the the wrong Jedi commentary, and I thought it looked familiar. It, it really is all from just StarWars.com. There's nothing original. Yeah. Oh, oh, I, yeah I looked at the Rebel arc, and it's exactly the same. <laughs> I even went uh, back to StarWars.com to check, and it was the same thing. Oh, it was really gutted, to be honest. Mm-hmm. It would have yeah. been nice. They could have had that, and then, you know what they had before, the arc sum up. Yeah. They all talk about the arc as a whole. I mean, I think that would have been better. Yeah. But if you've only just got the episode commentaries, it's, and it's not even the commentary of the episode either. So, again, <laughs> it's not it's not new. So, that's the only disappointing thing about it. But, like you said, right. I think I've got the DVD quality like you, David, and I still find it on my PC. The quality is fantastic. It's not even in Blu-ray, but it, you can see that animation is absolutely fabulous. Oh, and yeah. so it's, it's great to have that at your disposal. And, and it is, to be honest, the season five was a very, very good season. And you can see how, how fluid the structure is as well when you've actually got whole arcs, again, in chronological order for a change. But also there's like, I think they're all four-part arcs, aren't they? I don't yeah. think there's a single episode. Yeah, they're yeah. all four-part arcs now, which is fantastic. Uh, and it's a great great little mini-movie then. You've basically got five mini-movies within a season. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's great. I, I picked up the uh, the Blu-ray set. So I did get the, the Jedi Temple archives where they have, you know, an, animation model turnarounds and uh, comparisons between, um, you know, early test shots and the finished product and um, some deleted scenes that are in there. Um, Un- uh, incomplete form, um, and the, the deleted scenes were interesting. Um, you know, there's some some good stuff that you know maybe we'll talk about when we get to the Maul arc about how uh, Sidious for some reason didn't want Anakin going anywhere near Maul, um, which I thought was a, an interesting little twist. Um, but yeah, like you guys said, would have liked to have gotten some some other bonus features. Um, the other thing I went out looking for the seasons one to five box set that's the one that i really want because i want that that book of concept art um <laughs> and for some reason that one didn't seem to be available in the stores I, I don't know at least not in in the stores in toronto i don't know if uh, they showed up in wherever you guys are um in in, in california david or, or or in england uh karen if you guys saw them or if they're 
essentially an Amazon <laughs> exclusive. I, I don't know. Um, mm. Did you guys did you guys come across them in the wild while you were picking up your season five box sets? No, I didn't. Uh, to be honest, I found it difficult just to find the season five box set. I mean, considering I got it the first day it came out, um, I went to the HMV local store and I just couldn't find. Uh, I couldn't find it at first, and it was hidden away in like the, in the children's section. Mm. And um, I only found the DVD. I, I couldn't find any Blu-ray season one to five. Um, like you said, I think it's online at the moment. But, but you um, found the season one to five on DVD. No, I didn't no, even find I that. Find they, just, oh. they just had season five. Oh. That was it. And it, it really wasn't well advertised, which I was a bit disappointed about. Yeah. But I'll yeah. tell you what I did manage to find was um, when I, I looked at the season five price, and, and in England it was about 30, 30 pounds, which I don't know exactly what that is in, in dollars. But then I looked at the season four one, and that was nearly double the price. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, I was like, wow. And it, well, that wasn't even the Blu-ray one, so I was like, my goodness me. Maybe I think I was just in a store that was incredibly expensive, but <laughs> I still thought, when I'm looking at all the others, because I thought, I, I didn't have the Blu-ray, I've got the Blu-ray of the season four, but not the DVD, so I thought I might get that, but then when I saw the price, I thought, nah, it's not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that another day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. David, did, did you come across season one to five anywhere? Um, I, I kind of just made a, a target trip, and then I it occurred to me, oh yeah, it came out yesterday, I should look for season <laughs> five, and um, it really wasn't that well advertised, I agree, um, and it was it was difficult to find in the store, definitely, it was tucked away at like a, like an end cap in the children's like cartoon animated section, um, and I, I think I only saw the season five Blu-ray sets and the, the DVD sets, I think I'm only dvd capable so i picked up that one um but i do not recall seeing the season one to five set out in the wild that may be a, a difficult one to for fans to track down yeah i i went to multiple stores Odd. and i couldn't find it um, yeah. but at least at least at the stores i went to season five was was displayed prominently with all of the other new releases um, good which was which was nice to see um but <laughs> let, let's uh let's jump into the the malevolence arc so uh, if, if you haven't watched the episodes in a while, um, Karen, do you have a little refresher for us? Yep, I do. Uh, oh, God, I'm really unorganized now. <laughs> Hang on, guys. Yep, here we go. See, you, you can make mistakes even on a recorded podcast. <laughs> right. So we're going to go uh, basically sum up the whole arc. Um, in the first part, which is Rise of Malevolence, an attack by a devastating new separatist weapon, the powerful starship Malevolence leaves Jedi Master Plo Koon and his clone troopers struggling to survive until Anakin and Ahsoka can find them. And in the second part, with the help of his Padawan Ahsoka and Jedi Master Plo Koon, Anakin utilizes new long-range Y-wing bombers to lead a bold strike on General Grievous's warship, the Malevolence, and its destructive weapon. And then to finish off on the final part, Padme Amidala and C-3PO are taken hostage by General Grievous, leaving Anakin and Obi-Wan to save the Senator and complete the destruction of the Malevolence. Yeah, so uh, definitely an action-packed arc. Um, I want to start off by talking about by, about Plo Koon and, and the clones. Um, and and in, in the first episode, we see the, the Malevolence attack. Uh, Plo Koon goes into the escape pod with the clones, and the clones... Um, seem pretty down on, on the Jedi. They seem like 
they don't believe that any help will come. They think, oh, they're just clones. And it almost had shades of Order 66, um, really, this early in the series, that, you know, you could understand why clones would believe that the Jedi have turned on them, because, you know, oh, nobody's going to come for us. We're just clones. Um, did you guys did you guys see it this way? Um, Kieran, I'll ask you first. Um, did, you guys, did you see shades of Order 66 in there, or...? Um... I don't know if I saw Shades of Order 66, but that is a new, new interesting light. But because I'm, I merely saw it as they understood why. Um, I know they were, they were, because they, they did actually make the, the quote when they said that you know it would make no strategic sense for anyone to come and look for us. So it's almost as though um, they understand why no one would want to help them. And in, I think Plo Koon really, um, if you looked at him as the Jedi. Wouldn't you look at the other end or the other end of the spectrum and say that they should be liking the Jedi more because Plo Koon could easily have just left them and he was there saying that he wants to make sure that every one of them survives this. He doesn't want them to die. And I can I can understand how they may feel they could feel upset towards the Jedi, but in this particular episode, I don't or in this arc I should say, I don't know if the evidence is as strong there, but that is a new interesting idea there. David, what about you? Um, what did you think the the clones were thinking there? Were they thinking maybe of, um, you know, Order sixty six, or was it just a, you know, strategic uh, uh, maneuver? I don't know. You see, Order sixty six is still such a, such a mystery. It's so it's very underdeveloped at this point um, in terms of was it programmed into them? Like, did did they automatically? Was there some sort of trigger that got them to follow it without question? Because we see that preview clip with Tup, um, and it almost seems like it's out of his control. Um, but then again, you have clones who didn't follow the order to in like expanded universe material who didn't follow the order who were who stayed loyal. Um, I, I think what it was the scenes with Plo Koon and the clones. It was a very interesting look at their the expendability of the clones that that was never really addressed in the movies when we see them alongside the Jedi and seeing how, how Plo Koon addressed their concerns about, oh, we're just expendable. No one's going to come looking for us in like this outer rim system where we're being attacked by this separatist super weapon. No one's going to care about three clones, you know. Um, and, and it's interesting to see if that mindset of expendability throughout the war in any way contributed to executing Order 66 yeah. when it came along. Um, but it, it's interesting how the series really gave us a little more background on, on why, why the clones would make that decision or follow that order um, and seeing how they interacted with the Jedi and and giving us, you know, if, if it was a choice when Order 66 was issued, then there's plenty of stuff like, like Krell and, um, I don't know, to a lesser extent, Barriss, just Jedi gone wrong and Jedi who, who, um, the, the mindset that the Jedi are responsible for the war and that this is the only way to bring about the new order for for palpatine is by getting them out of the way it's but i don't i don't know if it was if it was hinting at order 66 
quite yet, but it certainly could have been. That's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, for well, sure. What I what I was trying to get at there was, you know, they all, they have this mindset, like you were saying, of expendability. Oh, we're just expendable. We're just expendable. Um, and that could build up, you know, as the war progresses and they, you know, form a stronger bond among each other, um, you know, to the point where three clones later on in the war are in a similar situation and all the clone troopers, you know, who are safe are, you know, screaming at the Jedi to go save, or, you know, wanting to scream at the Jedi to go save those clones, but they, they won't do it because clones are just expendable. And that can lead to, you know, a bitterness towards the Jedi that they weren't ready to go and save their brother. So not necessarily that this um, was a direct cause of, of Order 66, but is sort of right. when Order 66 goes down and, and the Order is, you know, something like the Jedi have betrayed the Republic, well, they can sort of understand that, oh, you know, they, would, they never went to save us. I can understand how they would betray the Republic. Mm-hmm. I think as the, as the audience member, this is the situation that I think they're trying to get the audience to form a bond with the clones. Because you think about it, in, in this first part, there's three main clones that are being focused upon with Plo Koon um, in that escape pod. As in the previous arc with Ambush, Yoda as well had just three clones, where as the individual, you're actually seeing the clones as individuals. They're no longer just these mindless automatons. They've actually got personality and character to them. And I think that's what the series, in, in a way, is trying to introduce to the audience, that uh, there are different aspects to clones, and they, and they do have feelings as well. Yeah, exactly. And, and this, it did also go towards establishing Plo Koon as this sort of wiser Jedi that, that we uh, got to see. And, you know, and, you know, as much as that could have strengthened Order 66, what was going on there, it makes you, again, it opens up the question, if the clones have such a relationship with these Jedi, you know, if, if Wolf, Sinker, and Boost um, have this relationship with Plo Koon, when Order 66 comes down, are they necessarily going to follow through with it? As You know, it's the question we were asking about Anakin and Rex uh, and Ahsoka and Rex, um, you know, before we knew what happened to Ahsoka, all the way through the series is like, what's going to happen because they have such a tight bond. And so, you know, it, it's Order 66, Shades of Order 66 from both sides of, you know, is it a choice or isn't it a choice? Um, we, we get to see the, the Twilight ship some more in, in this series. And this is not necessarily um, directly related to the episodes, um, but we've been hearing Dave Filoni talk about the ghost ship from Star Wars Rebels, which, uh, you know, the, the next animated series coming up next next year, um, and how they wanted that to be sort of the home base for the heroes. Like, this was the, the place where they were safe um, from the Empire. It's not necessarily, that's probably not necessarily true, but, you know, where you felt safe. Um, do you think there was an attempt um, to make the Twilight that kind of, home base for Anakin and Ahsoka. Um, uh, of course, <laughs> if there was, it was eventually abandoned. But uh, did you ever get that sense, David? I think so. I think it was certainly the the Millennium Falcon equivalent for the Clone Wars. It was sort of the iconic hero ship that they all, that all the stories were centered around, that our main characters sat around in. Um, I, I think it's... It's it's really odd how its role just suddenly turned into nothing until it showed up in Lawless, of course, and got blown up. <laughs> <It's> so sad. 
So sad. Uh, poor Twilight. Yeah. Just got the short end of the lightsaber. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was uh, poor Twilight. Yeah. Well, what about what did you think? What do you think, Kieran? Yeah, I totally agree with you guys. I think that the Twilight was there um, since since the movie, really, as almost to make yeah, as you said, to make the heroes feel safe, almost the audience comfortable as well. That while they're in this ship, and even though they're battling against the odds, that they're they're going to make it. So I feel that it's important that you have something like like that ship, which I suppose you didn't really have for the prequels. I can't really think of one ship. That was a thread throughout yeah. episode one, two, and three, unlike, say, the Millennium Falcon, and what it looks like in Star Wars Rebels will be the ghost. And perhaps that that was what missing in, say, the prequels, and I'm kind of diverging from the point here. <laughs> um, but but I can see how there, there were so many different characters in, in the prequels, whereas the Clone Wars, you feel like with the Twilight, you're going to have R2, Ahsoka, Anakin. They're going to be your main uh, characters throughout either the series or at least whenever that ship's around, you know Anakin and Ahsoka will be around. For sure, for sure. And, and, and speaking of, of Anakin and Ahsoka, um, in in that first episode again, we sort of see them go off on their own, disobeying the orders. And, and at one point, I, I love this. Uh, Obi Wan tells uh, Yoda about their uh, how Anakin and, and Ahsoka have gone off to look for Plo Koon, and Obi-Wan and Yoda sort of exchange this look, and it's almost Obi-Wan's, you know, and I told you so to Yoda, you know. I told you that sticking him with a Padawan was just a bad idea. Um, or, you know, all the trouble they could think of. So um, what did you guys think of uh, of Anakin and ah- Ahsoka's relationship in this one, how it how it had progressed from what we saw in the film uh, to where it is now and how they're off breaking the rules together? Kieran, uh, what did you think? Yeah, that was, that was quite an interesting point, actually, because I thought earlier Anakin was quite hypocritical towards Ahsoka when, you know, when she stood up towards the council and she spoke out um, and everyone was like, oh, this is really bold for someone for so young. Yeah, it's and exactly then, then, what Anakin did in episode one. But not only that, mother. he didn't... Like, that have to do with anything? Yeah, exactly. But not only that, <laughs> he does it later in the episode. He was like, yeah, he scolds her for for basically speaking out and not following orders. And then the next thing you know, he's in the twilight going to see the wreckage himself. And he was like, and then he makes up this lame excuse that he was saying, well, actually, you know, okay, I am disobeying, but I didn't tell them that I was going to do that. As if, as if that makes it any better, just because he didn't speak out. And I, and then I thought it was a bit much at the end. He started blaming Ahsoka for all of it as well. I thought, well, actually, she she didn't say, I'm going to go to the wreckage. You went there, mate. So I, I just didn't understand where all this hostility was coming from. But but you can see how this would rub off on Ahsoka. Yeah, well, I Anakin, mean, all the actions Anakin's doing. Sorry, uh, yeah, jump in there. I was, I was going to say, Anakin definitely has a, has a do-as-I-say, not-as-I-do uh, mentality towards all of this. Um, but I love the way you were saying how, you know, uh, his, his philosophy was basically... Do what you want, but don't tell them you're going to do what you want, which yeah. was almost the way you put it was reminded me of that's sort of how Harrison Ford approached dialogue on Star Wars. Um, you hear Mark <laughs> Hamill tell the stories, you know, he would ask George, can I can I change this line here? And George, no, no, got to 
stick to the script, stick to the script. And, you know, there was Harrison, you know, changing all the lines, you know, I, I love you, I know all that. And Mark goes to Harrison, well, well, well how do you do this? Why, why do you get away with it? And Harrison's response was, you ask, I just do. Um, and so, the way you put it there is, uh, just reminded me of that. So, um, David, how about you? What, what did you think of, of Anakin and Ahsoka in this episode? Yeah, it was it was great how these this first arc of episodes really introduced to us the extremely unconventional master student relationship we knew was going to continue to be developed throughout the show, um, and how he's still Anakin is still maintaining his his Jedi master mindset and and that he incorporates a lesson into his rule breaking he makes that whole comment of <laughs> it's not what you said it's how you said it like or, or something like that after their jedi council meeting when they're when they're in the twilight on the way to on their way to the wreckage but uh it, it's 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 fun how they they they're they're both total uh rule breakers troublemakers um but uh, he can still try to make a lesson out of it, just so he's doing his job as as the master, but still getting to do their own thing and and do what they feel is right um, by going after Plo Koon and the clones. Um, and it, it was a it was a great way to introduce that dynamic to us. I thought yeah. by putting them in that situation for sure, for sure. Um, I'm sorry, I'm just going to jump in there yeah, and ask you guys a quick question, actually. And we, we get to see the elements of Ahsoka and Anakin here, but what did you guys think about the introduction to the Master Plo and Ahsoka relationship? Because right at the beginning, they both speak in the same tongue when they, they communicate with each other. Was that a nice um, surprise to you that you got to see Ahsoka could relate to somebody else? And it also, I believe, it gave um, Plo Koon a bit more uh, more interest in how he was related to Ahsoka. Yeah, I, I think it definitely um, sets up how Ahsoka can have multiple mentors, and it will set her up into the point where she is strong enough in the final episode, the wrong Jedi, um, to leave the Jedi Order because you know she has the recklessness of Anakin, but she also has the the wiseness of, of Plo Koon and, and Obi Wan, and to an extent Yoda. Um, because she ha- she's around these other Jedi so much, and she has this relationship with the other Jedi, you know, with Plo Koon because of, of her past, with Obi-Wan because of Anakin's past, and all of these these different viewpoints um, form her decisions, obviously most influenced by Anakin, because, you know, she spends the most time with him, and it just sort of it builds up her character to the point where she'll make the decision to walk away from the Jedi Order, not necessarily out of spite, but out of, of logical reasoning. Um, David, how about you? What do you think? I thought I was so excited when I saw that Plo Koon would be in the episode, and then to to find out that he had that very important relationship with Ahsoka that went all the way back to bringing her into the Order. Because um, we knew Dave Filoni would have to introduce Plo Koon somehow, <laughs> you know, and to make him important to the story somehow, because it was Dave Filoni and Plo Koon. But uh, it... it it was a great. It was a really, really fun surprise. I thought, um, and and I thought the way that they set that up by having him in in peril in this episode, and the of course with that little Empire Strikes Back nod in there when Ahsoka is sitting in the the cockpit and of the Twilight and he's in the 
Plo Koon's out there in the vast wreckage, and they're reaching out to each other with the Force, kind of like we saw with um, Luke and Leia at the end of Empire. Mm. That that was fun to see again, because we really didn't get to see Force senses between two two characters that are so close like that in the prequels, I felt. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I, I think there was a lot of evidence. Again. Well, carry on, David. It was fun to see that again, like the just reaching out with the force and their their relationship. Yeah, no, I thought it was um I really Yeah, I really enjoyed looking at the relationship, like you were saying, between the two. And that example you gave with the force sensitive uh between Ahsoka and Master Plo Koon, I think that kind of just illustrated that these two characters are, are very close. And while it added a new dimension to Plo Koon, I think, as you said uh, yourself, Dominic, it added a dimension to Ahsoka. That she has got these other mentors as well. And I think that was very interesting and to see how um, how she reacts with other Jedi as well. And it, in a way, it makes the... When she leaves the temple, it, it adds that um, sympathy towards her, but you can feel how much of a tough decision it must have been for her because it's not just Anakin, but I feel that what this arc suggests is that there is a closeness between these two characters, which is understandable as Plo Koon raised Soka, as is, as is noted in this episode, uh, in this arc, sorry. So I think um, I think it was a good relationship, and, and I think they really work well together, because you can have these rela- relationships or interactions with other characters which just don't work, but I think, as you said, the combination of that wise and thoughtful Plo Koon against the youthful but inexperienced Soka, I think it was just a match made in heaven. Yeah, I totally agree there. It was it was great to see those characters interacting. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the villains in in this arc. Um, we see a lot of uh, Count Dooku and General Grievous interacting together, and one thing that really stuck out to me was uh, the way Dooku criticized um, Grievous treating the droids. You know, Grievous you know punched a droid in the head and the droid's head fell off, and Dooku made some comments about. You know the droids being expensive, and that the Republic never treats the clones that way. And I was wondering what you guys thought um, Dooku meant by that statement. Was he was that a bit of his Jedi compassion sticking through, or was he just trying to, you know, tell Grievous to stop wasting his money? Um, Karen, what do you think? No, I think he was, well, in a way, he was advocating it because when, when he, yeah, like you said, he punched a droid's head off. He did, he did at first say that they were expensive and that they weren't, and Jedi aren't that harsh. But then when Grievous made the point and said it was a weakness and, and Dooku was like a weakness that we will continue to exploit, it's almost like Dooku's feeding all this information in and making sure um, Grievous so, shows no weakness like the Jedi do. Um, okay, he did, didn't make that financial point, but in my mind I see him as more advocating that and it makes them seem... Uh, particularly to the audience who haven't seen Dooku and Greaves before, this much more, you know, evil and, and villainous that they aren't going to be prepared. I mean, they're going to literally, they're literally going to destroy a hospital in, in the equivalent of this. That's what they're going to do. Which, I mean, you can't get much more villainy than that, I guess. Um, what did you think, David? I feel, as far as the financial part of the comment goes. Um, Dooku did have all of these like separatist corporate sponsors to sort of um, not not like appease, but like keep them keep them in the fold. And if his if his 
top general is going around bashing them left and right, then that that probably doesn't do much for their image, you know, like for the Trade Federation and the Techno Union and everyone funding the construction of the droids. Um, but on a, as far as the, the rest of the dialogue goes, I think it was just a, a, an interesting way to segue into their discussion about how they were going to exploit the Republic's compassion for their, their living soldiers when they go forward and attack Kalita Shoals, the hospital. Um, I think it was largely to set that next part up and talk about how the Republic's values and their their views are a lot different, and that they would that they would exploit it, like Dugu said. Yeah, those are both uh, both great points. <laughs> and, you know, it, I asked that question because I legitimately was was confused as to why yeah. why he would make that, that comment. And you've both have convinced me um, of completely different points. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> you know, it, you know, it, it definitely could be a, a double motivation of both trying to get grievous uh you know to keep being as evil as he is and you know you know maybe maybe you should stop killing these droids a little bit so we can keep having them and you know our, our sponsors don't <laughs> why not look good yeah <laughs> yeah exactly um but, but let's talk oh. about um palpatine oh, i was gonna quickly jump in oh, yeah go for is it okay yeah go I've for still it got, uh, just a couple of questions on grievous actually while we're, while we're on that topic is um what did you see about the whole dooku and grievous interactions within this arc um, in my mind, it saw Grievous portrayed more as the lackey because Dooku seemed to be, every time he was around, he was giving him orders and telling him exactly what to do and make sure he does this part and he almost has to be followed step by step. I can understand perhaps for, for the audience's sake, it's it's a way of understanding what they're going to do, but it did seem like he was mothering him a little bit as though he, he every time he was on a hologram, he was telling him what's, you know, what to do, how to do it. So, yeah. I mean, did, did, you, did your perception of Grievous change in this arc when you compared to what you saw in, say, the Tartakovsky series and briefly in episode three? Um, David, you go ahead. Well, well, it is it is interesting, um, especially because we do see so little of, of Dooku and Grievous prior to this when you really think about it. I guess they had that one scene in the Tartakovsky Clone Wars where, like, they're doing the lightsaber training and... He he mentions the to continue exploiting the the Jedi's fear and intimidation have fear and intimidation on your side something like that um, when they're doing the lightsaber combat training um, and that's really all we saw of Duke and Grievous and in this we see sort of the separatist hierarchy established where Dooku is clearly the Sith in charge and uh, Grievous is really Dooku's weapon i think and i think obi-wan refers to him or, or kit fisto one of them refers to grievous later in the series as dooku's errand boy and that's really grievous's purpose you know he's he is the supreme commander of the droid army but what is the overall purpose of the droid army really it's just furthering the the evil goals of the sith and grievous is just a a, a tool in in that overall yeah. scheme you know grievous as, is, sorry to cut you off david but grievous oh, is no. nothing more than than just a pawn in all of this exactly. um, you know i think what we what we get from the way dooku um, micromanages grievous in this episode is that you know grievous is this warrior um and we know that he has this hatred for the jedi 
um, and you know, in, in a perverse kind of way, idolizes them as well with his collecting lightsabers. And right. Dooku sort of found this this warrior um, and was able to use him for his purposes and just sort of took him uh, under his wing and made him the leader of the droid army because he knew, um, you know, Grievous can go in there and just, you know, I, I hate to use this term, but like a wrecking ball and, um, <laughs> uh, you know, just smash things and yeah. you know, get things done that way. But he would never trust him with anything more important than, a, than just to destroy this mission. And and yeah. so he feels that he has to walk Grievous through everything to make sure that Grievous doesn't just go in there and do something stupid because he thinks he should he can just blow everything up. Yeah, he's a bit like I can see him as like the Tasmanian Devil. <laughs> yeah, if you think exactly. of the Looney Tunes, that he, 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 yeah, he could destroy. <laughs> Destroy everything! Oh my god! I don't know. Why I just had that in my mind. But no, it's, it's you, a you very. Just imagine it. You could just imagine him there as like this. He is. He 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 can do a lot of damage, but then he can be a walking disaster as well. A bit like that's probably why Dooku made that comment more than anything when he destroyed the battle droids' heads. Okay, when I said he was advocating more against, like you said, against the weaknesses of the clones. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like we still want to have an army left at the end of this. So don't start killing off all our droids. And and that seems to be a running theme throughout this. Is that Grievous seems to? I think it's more he hates the droids because he himself he doesn't want to see himself as them. He yeah. seems he sees those droids there, and he thinks, no, I don't don't do this to me. It's almost like I don't want to see what I am like. Okay, he's not as silly, and you know, and they come up sometimes with silly comments, but. He see almost a reflection of what he he is now. He is a yeah. cyborg technically, and that's more that that's what hates. That's what he hates more about the droids, I guess. Um, so I suppose that's perhaps an interesting, different angle to look at it when he's, he's killing those killing those droids. Is that because he doesn't he doesn't like to see what he's become? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and you know, Grievous is is definitely a, a the kind of character that sees himself as above everybody else. Yeah. You almost get the idea that he thinks he could take down Count Dooku, and you almost have this this rule of two Sith Lord and Sith Apprentice um, mentality there. Um, not you know, it, it doesn't really work because Grievous is is not force sensitive, but you still get that that same kind of feeling that Grievous thinks he could take down Dooku if he really wanted to, and you know anything that he feels is inferior, he's he's going to destroy it. It's, again, I hate to bring you know. Uh, this up, but it's kind of like Khan in Star Trek. It, it's that their whole idea is to mm-hmm. destroy anything, <laughs> anything <laughs> <laughs> is is to destroy anything, any life that they feel is inferior to themselves. And you get that idea with Grievous that he thinks he's better than the droids, so he's going to beat the droids in the head. He thinks he's better than the Jedi, so he's going to take four lightsabers and he's going to go after them and kill them and and take their lightsaber as a trophy and. You almost get that same sense that he feels he could do that to Dooku. He just never really gets the chance. And and to go back to the the Sith Lord Sith Apprentice thing, uh, you almost get the feeling that Dooku treats it that way too. Like he's almost feeding Grievous this line that you know he could possibly do it because we see in the episode um, Massacre uh, when Grievous uh, approaches Dooku, he calls Dooku Master. He doesn't say Count Dooku. He doesn't say Lord Tyrannus. He says Master. It was a, a you know interesting way of uh, 
keeping us general online for Dooku. Oh, sorry, I've got uh, one question and another point to make, and then I'll, I'll let you carry on. Sorry, Dominic. Huh. Um, I, I was done with that point. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Um, on, on the Grievous thing, I was going to say, you, you may well, I think you touched on this a little bit, but what do you see as his overall motivation in a war? Is it just he wants to hunt down the Jedi? Because I... I, the quote that, that actually um, found, I found particularly intriguing was when he says, I have a reputation to uphold. Um, so, so what do you see as his main motives in this war? I mean, he doesn't want to just see himself as this general or, or this lackey, so to speak. So, um, uh, Dominic, let you start off with that. I think he, he wants to see himself as the supreme leader, almost. You know, he, he is... The most power as the most powerful being in the galaxy. That is what Grievous strives toward, and I think he just sees he sees being the leader of the Separatist army as a stepping stone to that, and that the Separatists will win the war, they will crush the Republic, and then he will have this this high position in you know in this new order, um, and he'll be able to use that to his advantage to move up the ladder. Whether that means you know killing Dooku, killing Ventress, killing you know, I'm sure he probably thinks he could kill Sidious. Um, You know, we see him in in Episode Three. He when he sees Sidious, he's not afraid of him. You know, we see when Ventress sees Sidious in in the movie, she sort of backs away and she doesn't almost doesn't want to be seen by him. When Grievous Mm -hmm. sees Sidious, it's like, yes, my lord. You know, he's he's speaking to him the same way he would have spoken to to Count Dooku, maybe a little bit more respectfully. Well, he's standing up for one, isn't he? Like yeah. you were saying, you don't see him kneel on the floor, which yeah. is something that said Ventress does. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and, you know, I think Grievous is ultimately is is defined by his reputation. He defines himself by what other people think of him. And, you know, that's why he collects the trophies, the, the Jedi's lightsaber, to show that, you know, I have killed all these Jedi, so you should fear me. Um, and, you know, it's his reputation that drives him. And if... You know, when he loses, that's why when he loses, it's, you know, he has to run and hide because he cannot, he couldn't bear to be captive. He couldn't bear to be a prisoner of the Republic. Uh, and that would be just such a hit to his ego that he would, you know, probably, you know, do something drastic like, you know, possibly even take his own life. I, I could see him doing that if, you know, he wound up being caught because, you know, it would either motivate him to be even more powerful or, um, drive him to death. So I'm just going to add a question onto that for David as well. Is that who do you think brought Grievous in? Who is it, Sidious or Dooku? Because I can see it from both points as they want to bring Grievous in. If you see in the later stages of the war, you got Sidious with Grievous um, in terms right. of keeping the war going on, or does Grievous want to use him and Ventress to take over um, and defeat his master? It's so interesting. Like we've we've um, we've had Grievous canon changed around a little bit. It seems not changed, but um, it's it's implied that something other than the expanded universe backstory went on to set up what we see in the Clone Wars. Um, in Layer of Grievous, we we have Grievous interacting with his medical droid, and and he's all. Master, why did you choose these changes? Like, I wish you hadn't like. Like, what did he say? Oh, man, he said, um, agreed to the changes, or why did you, uh, um, it was something like that, and he's like, I agree, submit, submit to the changes, and he's like, I submit to no one, like, he, I chose these changes, um, and he was, he was this mighty, 
alien warlord before the Clone Wars. And and I think he... he Filoni made this one comment in one of the commentaries. He, he said something like, Grievous wanted to be a Jedi, but he didn't have... Of course, he didn't have any Force sensitivity... Um, so he, he had to, he had to droid, droidify himself. And I think that was probably, uh, Dooku, Dooku's involvement because he had his, his separatist allies, um, help Grievous undergo the, the, the mechanical transformations, the modifications that made him into the four lightsaber wielding huge mechanical talons frightening grievous guy that we know and love you know <laughs> um <laughs> and i think you see a lot of separatist influence in his design um like but so i, I do think it was dooku that brought him into the fold but i i think sidious came to see him as the the, the general of the droid armies and therefore a, a, a tool to continue the, the war with even after Dooku was gone because he was the one in the most direct command of the droid forces that would still have to be fighting for a little while longer to keep the image of the war going. Um, but... But it's 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 interesting how much of it was how much of it was Grievous's decision, how much of it was Dooku's involvement. Um, it it leaves a lot to Grievous is a character that leaves a lot of backstory to our imaginations as fans, and I think that lends to a lot of his appeal. Yeah, I, I will it's, say, it's, I, yeah, I will say, I, I definitely think it was was Dooku that that brought him into the fold, um, just because we've seen Dooku. Um, you know, when he sees a, a powerful warrior, um, you know, he'll enlist them to his cause, as we've seen with, with Ventress and, and Savage Press. And I think he saw this this alien warlord that wanted to be a Jedi but that couldn't, and he was able to present him with this opportunity to fight the Jedi, to, you know, essentially get back at them for not letting him into their order, despite the fact that he doesn't have the Force. And, you know, Grievous, of course, jumped at that opportunity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'll let you carry on now, Dominic, with the questions. Sure, sure. Um, well, I wanted to, to talk a bit about um, Palpatine Sidious in this arc. And we, we see him, um, he's definitely feeding Dooku um, the Republic's secrets. You know, uh, Dooku finds out about their plan and he passes that on to Grievous. Um, what do you think um, Sidious's motivation in this is? Is he hoping for a CIS win, for a Separatist win to lower the reputation of the Jedi to, you know, in the public mind? Because we know that that's part of Palpatine's big game is to you know, play at the public opinion of the Jedi. Like, you know, mm-hmm. look, they couldn't even save this hospital um, and, you know, have that lower reputation of the Jedi. Or is he just trying to prolong the war by having a more even fight? Um, David, I'll ask you first. What, what do you think Palpatine's motives were? Well, it certainly didn't seem like the malevolence arc went the way Dooku and Sidious expected. I think that I I, I do think it was intended to be a, a big, terrifying separatist victory earlier in the war that would, you know, instill a sense of threat in the Republic populace, you know, and like make them a more legitimate fighting force, I suppose. 
Um, I, I definitely think the intention was a separatist win. Um, they wouldn't have invested so much into the malevolent super weapon. They wouldn't have laid out their plans so carefully and, and put Grievous directly in charge. You know, I, I do feel like it was meant to be... Of course, everything is about the Clone Wars is intended to further the the Sith plan, but this in this case, I think it was... It was supposed to be a, a bad guy win, you know, hospital destroyed and all the, all of the Republic ships destroyed and the clones. And I think a lot of what you were saying, um, public opinion, like they couldn't save the hospital. And of course, how would the clones feel if the Jedi couldn't prevent Kalita Shoals from being destroyed? Um there was, I think they, the Separatists and the Sith, of course, had a lot more to gain from making it an actual separatist victory, you know. Yeah. Uh, Kieran, how about you? What do you think? That was actually one of my questions I had on Palpatine, is that what what is his aim in achieving the arc? Because he, there, there's a reason in this arc, there must be a reason why he's so involved in it. There's a lot of references to him, and even as Chancellor, particularly in the first part of the arc, um, he's there communicating with the Jedi and communicating with Anakin. There's a reason why he's there. And a couple of theories that I had in mind was, um, could this have been a, a, a test for Anakin, perhaps? Particularly when he puts Padme in a hostage situation later on. You, mu- you must begin to realise that mm-hmm. it is is Palpatine there who puts Padme in because he knows of the relationship between the two. There's a reason why he's put that particular senator into the deep end. Um, on the other hand, you could also look at it and think, like you said, uh, David, with the whole financial um, uh, restriction, the financial backing for this malevolence uh, ship. I mean, ultimately, he doesn't want that to be destroyed. In a way, it's almost the Death Star equivalent of the Clone Wars for Palpatine. It's supposed to be this huge, devastating weapon that's going to destroy everything in its yeah, way. Palpatine yeah. has really bad luck with super weapons. <laughs> he really does. Yes. It's like it's like Obi Wan with Sith Lords. He just he cuts them in half, but they come back anyways. Palpatine he builds these indestructible super weapons, they get destroyed anyways. Oh, oh what it's is so it? true though. It's so that, true. That's a great comparison. Malevolence really is the separatist Death Star, and I think it really did have longer a longer purpose intended for it, and that Anakin blowing it up right away wasn't part of the plan. For sure. Yeah. And also, if you look at it, I don't know about you, but the camera angles, particularly when that laser goes off, doesn't it look exactly like in the Death Star? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially yes. with when, the yeah. two droids standing there. and the, Yeah. yeah. It looks, yeah, it looks just like so the I, Death Star. I, I could see the early concept of the Death Star coming from the, male- the malevolence in terms of weaponry and the destruction it, it caused. And I've got to quickly ask you guys a question now and say... I don't know if you can remember this quote, but when when the Jedi um, were talking with Palpatine, um, I, I think Yoda says something to, to the illusion that Dooku's always ahead of the Jedi, and, and they're, they're all having a go at Anakin now because he's gone off and done his own thing. And then he goes and says, let us hope it is not a costly one. And then it, if it, I don't know if you see it, but there's, that, there's a true evil smile moment that you see there as, as Palpatine. So I was trying to say, what do you think that conveys? What does he mean by that quote? Is he, is he going to be happy that... Uh, Plo Koon will die or is it because the recklessness of Anakin is actually frustrating the Jedi, he's going against the orders and that's again furthering his advancement into the dark side so um, yeah, I, uh, 
I, I think, yeah, I think you, you you hit on it there. I think he, um, you know, he he says, "Let's hope it's not a costly one." I think he's hoping for either of those two outcomes. Quite frankly, you know, um, going back to the the whole public opinion thing, if you know, if Jedi Master Plo Koon, a master from the um, from the Jedi Council, is killed in the you know on such an early stage of the war, you know, instantly people are going to think, "Are the Jedi capable of actually defending us?" And you know. The public opinion of the Jedi will start to lower, and then, you know, we'll start to see things about them wanting to take over, and you know, so on and so forth, to the point where you know, Episode Three happens. Um, and so he's hoping for either of that, or he's hoping for you know, he knows that Anakin and the Council don't get along. He he, he knows that Anakin's told him that, as we've seen between uh, Episodes uh, One and Two, they have that relationship. And so, he, you know, if, if Anakin makes a mistake and gets reprimanded by the Jedi Council. That again, that will just further the gap. So I think he was really hoping for <laughs> for either of those. You know, as, mm. as a Sith Lord, I'm sure he loves dead Jedi, but you know, as as the architect of of the New Empire, I'm sure he was hoping for a little bit of uh, of an issue between Anakin and the Jedi Council. Um, David, what do you think? I agree. Yeah, I definitely agree that there was the the palpatine the classic palpatine manipulation at play here and that there were there were outcomes involving anakin during the malevolence incident that would work out for palpatine either way really like you were saying he uh you know plenty of outcomes that could go in the sith favor for sure for sure um oh go ahead go ahead uh, I think my, my last point I was going to make on that is um, that there must have also though, have been a reason that Palpatine contacted Anakin in that first part because he, 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 he did say to Anakin, uh, you know, return at once. And there must have been a reason that he did that. I mean, part, part of me thinks perhaps it was because he wanted him out of the situation not to be killed or he wanted him out to stop him from ruining his plan. Uh, but the, but, but you think about it, I don't think Palpatine was just there and recognised that Anakin would not listen to him, because Palpatine's been a mentor to Anakin since he was a child. So, in my mind, um, he, he did want him out of the situation, but I, just to finish on Palpatine, what did you think his motives for getting Anakin out would have been? Or was it a mixture of the two that I just said? Um, uh, David, you go ahead. Man, I suppose I suppose rising is the one I remember the least. So so Palpatine <laughs> did Palpatine did ask Anakin to return at one point, did he? Um, yes. yeah. I, yeah. So that that does really make it seem like he he has his his own motives involving the other characters, and then he he's really not quite ready for Anakin to put himself in in that much danger yet, because he knows that there's a good chance if he goes after the malevolence or goes after Plo Koon, then he'll be like killed and what good is him what good is he after that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um yeah. I I agree that there's definitely some he he was very careful about how Anakin was used um during the malevolence crisis and what kind of involvement he had. And and that definitely shows in those lines if he did ask him to come back, which is a scene I don't remember, darn it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. I, I here, here's what I think. I, I don't think that that um, Palpatine wants Anakin out of the action to protect him. 
I think Palpatine feels that if, if Anakin is in the action, um, he has to survive on his own. And, you know, and if he doesn't, well, then he wasn't a worthy apprentice. Um, I, I do think that in this situation, he was trying to get him to go back um, for uh, one of two reasons. It was either the idea that he didn't want Anakin to destroy the malevolence because, you know, he knows that Anakin's the best pilot. He's by one, of, one of the most powerful Jedi. And those two facts um, probably equal bad news for General Grievous uh, and the malevolence. Um, I also think him drawing him back, he also said something about the Jedi Council being furious. And I think he was hoping that if Anakin goes back and, you know, he'll get punished by the Jedi Council, which will make Anakin upset, which will send him to Palpatine, and Palpatine will be able to continue closing his grip on, on Anakin and, you know, you know, hinting to him that, you know, maybe maybe you should join the dark side. Dark side is probably better, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so <laughs> that, that, that's how I saw that little... That's uh, really good, actually. I, I, yeah, I never actually saw that before. Yeah, the whole um, the council is furious. That's actually um, definitely interesting to think. But, I mean, looking back at it and talking about it with you guys, it really makes me think this is such an Anakin and Palpatine arc. Even though we don't see much of Palpatine in it, there's so much that... Yeah, um, I mean, he's, I mean, Palpatine is instrumenting around Anakin. Yeah, he, that the, we now we begin to realize he's he's the ultimate puppet master. He's taken control of the situation, um, and he's just using the two sides against each other. And you know, he's trying to control it the best he can, so he can get the outcome he wants. Um, whether he gets the outcome he wants or not in in this arc uh, is questionable. Um, but at, at the same time, he doesn't, you know, ne- doesn't necessarily. Uh, a separatist loss isn't a Palpatine loss in the same way that a Republic loss isn't a Palpatine loss either. He, he he's more worried about the people in the war and how he can control them than the actual battles. I think. I was just. Oh. Hello. Oh no. Uh oh. Uh oh. Have we lost him? <laughs> Karen. Oh no, David, are you still there? I am. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we lost Karen. Oh, here come the little uh. And this the uh, Skype dots. We have to wait and watch these now. I guess. Yeah. Let's <laughs> say we've got. There's a problem with this call. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Oh. Nope. He's hung up. <laughs> or Skype hung up on him. And let's try and call him again and see what happens. And the Skype dots are back. <laughs> Hello, I'm back. And you're back. Hey. You know, I, I, I went rambling on for a good minute before I thought, I can't hear anyone speaking to me. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I was just... <laughs> oh, well, I was like, it's a good point, Sid. And I was just like, oh, I can't oh, hear anything. No. <laughs> That's why no one's agreeing with me. Darn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so if you want, if you want to, want to go around again. again. Yeah. <laughs> go for it. Oh, I got to remember where, where, where did you guys leave me off? <laughs> you sort of. Um, I just made a point about. Um, oh yeah, Palpatine. about Palpatine saying yeah. that he, he yeah, he's good at adapting to situations basically. And, yeah. And the main example was was bringing Padme into into the fold there because he was he was able to recognize that it's going to cause some ramifications. Um, Particularly with Anakin, it obviously it's going to cause him to stop because he he doesn't want Padme to be hurt, and it was exactly it was a reason he wanted to keep her as a hostage and not kill her. So I I think that's why it's it goes to show, as you said, Dominic, the ultimate puppet master. 
Yeah, for sure. And and let's let's talk about Padme now. Um, you know, she gets drawn into this and the the you know Palpatine's plot to get get the malevolence away. Um, but we see Anakin essentially call off the entire attack on the malevolence in front of not only Obi Wan but Ahsoka, Plo Koon, and Admiral Yularen. So these are like three key people in his life at this point that he has called off the the attack in front in front of them. Because he, because Padme is in danger, um, do you think that was a bit of a, a reckless move by Anakin, and, and a move that really could have exposed his relationship with Padme? Uh, David, I'll, I'll ask, I'll ask you first. Um, what do you think of that that decision by Anakin? Certainly wasn't a good one. <laughs> He's wanting to keep the whole thing <laughs> secret still. Um, I, I I just love how how subtle the show was in instances like this. Um, with exposing Ahsoka to Anakin and Padme's relationship. Like, if she sees him call off the whole malevolence attack, then, okay, there's obviously something there. She's clearly making a mental note that, huh, something's going on, Anakin and Padme. Um, And it all leads up to her final I know in The Wrong Jedi, which is just so open for interpretation (laughs) uh, (laughs) with regards to the Padme relationship, of course. Um, and I, I think it, it was a, it was a very important moment for, for him and Ahsoka in particular with her being exposed to the Padme Anakin relationship and, and then just do it in front of Obi-Wan and Plo Koon and Yularen. That was just reckless decision-making, of course, just in the, in the heat of the moment with her under attack from this humongous separatist ship. Um, but yeah, certainly a certainly a poor decision. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, Kieran, how about you? What would you think of uh, Anakin's decision there with that? Uh, yeah, this, this is my only one problem with the episode. I mean, if they're trying to keep this a secret, and they haven't done it particularly well throughout this uh, the whole last part of the arc, really. I mean, for a couple of instances, for one, he called her Padme, not Senator Amidala. She called him Anakin in turn. I think that goes to show that they're on first-name basis here. There's a lot more going on than just um, in terms of friends. And also, um, I don't know if you caught some of these, but when um, uh, I think it was a scene in the, in the train bit when um, uh, Padme, um, I can't remember, I think she fell off or something, and uh, Anakin was after chasing her. Um, and he, he and Obi-Wan says something to the effect of, oh, I can't see her, Anakin. He says, it's okay, I can sense her. And it's like, well, how can you censor? I mean, Obi-Wan must be making a mental note of what's mm-hmm. going on here as well. And then also, Padme makes to go, I know it's only to C-3PO, but she's like, oh, it's probably late again. Uh, actually, I think C-3PO already knows this, but um, but again, well, if they're C- trying to C-3PO hide C-3PO was at the wedding. Oh, for God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was giving, yeah. He was, he was the one person and there. And the food and the drinks. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but... Even that illusion there, and you, you're, and then, even then they had the kiss on the train. I know it's in the tunnel, but again, it's leaving it quite exposed. You're in a dangerous war position, a war situation here. I mean, if the enemy was to find that out, that would be a massive gain for them. I suppose they've got Palpatine already knows, but I don't think Grievous would know that. So, I mean, that's that's an interesting point there. Is to is, is why is it not? <laughs> why are they not more subtle about it? I, I I don't know about you guys, but I just think it's far too open. But but it is interesting, and uh, I, I as think, I was thinking of that would be one point, do you guys think that Obi-Wan knew at this point, or was he beginning to think about it at this point? 
I think Obi-Wan has su- suspected it ever since, you know, episode one. I think he has suspected, mm-hmm. or at least, at least since they were reintroduced in episode two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Obi-Wan suspects it all the way through t- until Revenge of the Sith, um, when he goes to see her after Anakin has turned. And I, I think that they were able to pass off a lot of the, you know, rescue thing is always going after the senator you know she's an important senator we don't want her to die think of again think of the public opinion wow um think of the public yeah, opinion in, uh, that would happen if we couldn't save the senator so they, they have to go after that and i think um you know it's probably well known to an extent that anakin and padme are, are friends and that so in this desperate situation you know they will forego the formality and call each other by their first name just because of all the all the stuff they've been through in, in episodes one and two. Um, that you know, they have that relationship together. Um, the kiss though is, is definitely where, you know, they were playing with fire when they decided to try that. Um, and that was really the the place where I agree with you most and that it was extraordinarily <laughs> reckless. <laughs> It's certainly it's certainly a good thing that the malevolence security cameras got blown up because yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they've been there like just some droids it, at their little listening post watching this go down. Yeah. Could you imagine if, if Obi Wan had the comms still at the same time? Just like what's going on here? What I keep? <laughs> it's just as well we had it off because I think afterwards he was quickly quickly like, oh, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna. Go and find your droid or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, oh, that was a bit lucky, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. well, mm-hmm. well, maybe Obi-Wan knows, and he was just giving them their, their moment together. <laughs> and, you know, I'll go find yeah. the droid. Yeah. You guys make out the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's it. That, that's the theory. The, the ultimate enabler. I, 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 you know, I, I wonder if Obi-Wan knows and he just kind of lets them get away with that. I, I really wonder, and this is a question more about the saga than, than just these episodes, mm-hmm. but I, 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 I do think that Obi-Wan, he probably knows, and he thinks that if he just lets Anakin have this one thing, then maybe that'll, you know, keep their relationship from exploding. Um, or maybe Obi-Wan just doesn't want to confront Anakin about it. He has his suspicions. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing, I, I, you know, Obi-Wan is one of those characters... Yeah, I think he knows more than he lets on, and he tries to protect his friend by not telling the Jedi Council about this relationship that, you know, was pretty evident when Padme got knocked out of the the gunship in Episode 2. Yeah, yeah well, absolutely. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm sure... Yeah, actually, now looking back at that, I, I reckon he knew in Episode 2 then. Yeah. Because um, mm-hmm. he was clearly, you know getting into Anakin's mind there when he was saying, you know, is this what Padme would want? And, you know, he, he recognised that there is a close connection between the two. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's... Uh, that, that was really interesting to see that throughout the episode. I mean, all these... Di- oh, sorry. All these different threads, there's so much going on in this that on the surface it's just an action-packed episode, but it really isn't. There's so much good stuff in it. Yeah, and, and which is great for, for this because otherwise we're like, yeah, that explosion was pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. All right. Gary, thanks everybody for listening, and uh, we'll be back yeah. next time. But yeah, yeah. I, and just just to go back to to Obi Wan again, and and him knowing. I mean, who does he go to first in Episode Three? Uh, he goes right to Padme, and and he, you know, he can tell right away that Anakin is is the father of of her child. And so yeah, I, I yeah, definitely Obi Wan knows. I'm gonna. That's 
that's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. And maybe <laughs> I'm sure that'll come up again as we go through the series. Um, but uh, let, let's move on. I've got, just got a couple more points here. Um, battle droid humor. We, we talked about this a little bit in the last episode. Um, so I'll ask you, David, um, what's what's your opinion of, of the battle droid humor? Do you like it, or, or was it a bit much for you? I I cracked up uh, during the movie, at least. I, I thought it was great. Um, it, compared to a lot of the other prequel humor, I guess, if that makes any sense. Like, it's it's a lot more... It's, it's funnier. But um, at the same time, it, it does distract a little bit from the the tension and it does make them harder bad guys to take seriously you know but but as as far as like the humor goes it is it's a lot more well done than a lot of what we than a lot of the attempts that we see in the prequel era um and and i think i think in the malevolence arc it's the it's the firefighter droids that we really see bumbling around and <laughs> yeah with like I, their I, poses and <laughs> i like that stuff I, thought... I see see that that's the one that i, I didn't like I, I i'm very torn on battle droid humor because sometimes i think it's absolutely hilarious and sometimes i just think i i just don't don't particularly like it and the the fire droid stuff where you know the hose goes off you know in one sense that is hilarious anytime you see somebody uh lose control of a fire hose it's it's fantastic same thing anytime somebody steps on a rake and it hits them in the face it doesn't matter who it is you're gonna laugh <laughs> um but it, it sort of felt in that instance they were portraying the droids as like way too incompetent and sort of like how could this war have gone on for so long <laughs> if they can't even put out a damn fire on their ship <laughs> and i guess of course the the answer you go to is is palpatine <laughs> <laughs> Palpatine makes up for the droids' um, lack of uh, fire sk- safety skills. Um, Kieran, what did you think of the battle droid humor in this? Uh, in uh, this yeah, that particular instance, I agree with you, Dominic. I think it was a bit over the top, really. I mean, you, you just wanted to put out the fire. I mean, yeah. it's pretty useless if you think about it. They can't put out a fire. But I thought the battle droid humor was great in these in this particular arc. Uh, a couple of examples. I like the one at the end of the uh, first part of the arc when you know all the droids are looking at uh, Dooku and Grievous when when the heroes get away, and then uh, uh, Dooku walks off and is like, "I'm gonna have to discuss this with my master." And then Grievous turns around and acts like he's gonna hit him, and they all start screaming like, "Ah!" <laughs> <laughs> like they don't want to get hit. And then and then their the best bit, uh, I think this is probably my favorite part of the arc, was the, the Grievous and Obi Wan. You know when uh, Obi Wan's surrounded by all the droids, and then uh, Obi Wan says something like, "Oh, you, you, know, you haven't impressed me today." And then he goes and destroys all the droids, and he just runs off. And one of the droids goes, "That was impressive." Yes. <laughs> and then he yeah. just goes, "Boosh." Yeah, see, I, I like <laughs> that. that. Was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, yeah. less fire those sort of quotes are quite good. But yeah, the bit with the um, the whole um, yeah the fire droids. Was a bit, yeah, a bit the ridiculous. Physical battle droid humor, yeah, I can get excessive, yeah. definitely. Yeah. I like, um, I like. This is the movie again, but uh, like, mistress, should we tell him they got away or what? And then just being hurled down the cliff, like that kind <laughs> of stuff. Their, their comments to their commanders, um, definitely. and the commander's reactions as well. Yeah. It's usually just <laughs> right. That's it. You're gone. Yeah, my face. <laughs> I. 
One thing about battle droids in this arc, I liked um, in Rising Malevolence, we see the extremely... Um, they're really sadistic, like the rocket battle droids just tearing in the escape pods and like pulling the survivors out. I don't think we'd ever seen that that side of the battle droids before. Like just the the they were really evil. They, I thought like in Rising, yeah. they I were mean, particularly evil battle droids. Yeah. Pretty twisted stuff. Just oh yeah, for sure. I mean, we <laughs> we tend to look back at season one. And season two, to to an extent as well, as you know, oh, those were the days when the Clone Wars was still a kiddie show. It was a kiddie show. I was like, I was watching that, like, what? Wait a minute. I, you know, it sort of dawned <laughs> on me that they, these were, you know, people being brutally murdered <laughs> by having yeah. all of their oxygen lost. And you know, after after seeing Gravity a, a couple of weeks ago, and, and and you know, there's a scene in there where you know people are exposed to the atmosphere of space and how you know violent a death and that is. It's like, wow, that is a dark way for these characters to go out. <laughs> and it's uh, definitely, a, you know, not a kiddie show. Never was. Not, oh. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, you think about it in the first bit, like they're about to go and uh, board another little escape pod and the guy's humming and a little tune, ain't he? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I'll just have a little sing song while we're about to kill these guys. Yeah. It's a like, part, whoa. A part of me... This, I, this, I'm glad they didn't do this, but a part of me was hoping that when that battle droid was humming, he was going to go, dang, 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 dang. That would be so good. <laughs> and even again, later in, in the second part, uh, do you remember that ship at the beginning, um, which basically is just going to get annihilated? Like they, they do the laser thing, and then they start shooting at it, and one of the droids says, like, boy, this is a lot more fun when they're not shooting back. Yeah. <laughs> to hit anything yeah and you're just like <laughs> again it's still quite dark there you think about it it's not like they're just having I mean, target practice here they're killing all these clones and it's just like oh this is fun so like, yeah exactly. it's easier when it's a hospital supply ship like yeah. Yeah, exactly <laughs> target practice yeah and and like you know that kind of dark humor for the battle droids to go back to battle droid humor i think that's the best kind i think that's where it's best Exactly. Where. That's the trouble, though. You get the juxtaposition of that, and then you get the stupidity when, like yeah, you said, they... to put a fire out. I mean, <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous. Exactly. Um, so, so, Karen, do you have any more um, any more uh, questions or, or points about about, the, about this arc? Yeah, I did. Um, I don't know if you made a note about it. The Anakin and Obi Wan relationship. I think that would be quite an interesting thing to discuss. Sure. Is um, what did you think about it? Because when I looked at the Anakin and Obi Wan stuff. Um, I could almost see that the seeds were sown for, for the hatred that Anakin has for Obi-Wan really? here. Yeah, well, I, I did, actually. Well, where? because I feel that there's a lot of um, like a lot of scolding from Obi-Wan towards Anakin uh, mm-hmm. throughout these two episodes. It's subtle, but it's there. For example, at, at the first episode um, in, in of this arc, uh, he he goes on the comm, doesn't he? He's all frustrated, it's like Anakin, where are you? You know, he's all a bit miffed about what Anakin's up to. And then in in the destroyer level, he's always there. He's always having a go, and he's like, no, we don't want to be spot. We don't want to do this. And um, and he's like, oh, time for some clever tricks, Anakin. He's, he, he, it's subtle hints, but it's almost putting Anakin down a little bit. Um, almost, he's being you know scolded a bit here, like you know he's hitting him. Like with a cane or something like that. Don't do it this way. You know, he's straight to the book. So I can kind of see how Anakin would be a bit annoyed about that. Okay, in this arc in particular, there's no real evidence of Anakin getting annoyed by it, but I can see the subtle hints there of, you know, the relationship between Obi-Wan and Anakin is more, 
it's more personal, I feel, than just, you know, teacher and student. Um, I don't know what you guys thought about that, yeah. but... Um, I, I, that was, yeah, that was something I never... I, I didn't really catch catch that in watching it. Um, although, when, when you bring it up and you put it that way, I, I definitely see how, you know, that's building up on uh, on the pile of, of ways that uh, Obi-Wan annoys Anakin up until, you know, you get to the, the straw that will break the camel's back in episode three. Um, and, you know, you kind of wonder about, about that. You know, but I had almost seen this episode as being kind of the opposite as we got more of the, the friendly Anakin and Obi-Wan together, um, especially in the in the, the last part when they, they get into the twilight and they're going to go board the malevolence and, you know, <laughs> that's your plan. Just walk in the front door and hope nobody notices, and, you know, <laughs> sort of a little bit more of a banter type thing than necessarily a, a, a nagging master. Although, you know, thinking about it again, and in, in, especially in the first two episodes, maybe not so much in the third one. Um, I definitely see where you're coming from with that. Uh, David? Yeah, but, but, oh, sorry, go ahead, David. Well, yeah, certainly a lot of certainly a lot more scolding than we than we usually see from Obi Wan, especially in that first episode, and um, it's it's almost as if he had trouble letting go of his master relationship with Anakin, and and of course uh, it's still early in the war, so he he's probably just been promoted to the Jedi Council, so he's figuring maybe he's figuring that role out too in how he addresses Anakin as an authority figure in the war, you know, and while Anakin is disobeying these orders from the council, it's a, it's a difficult situation for Obi-Wan to figure out. Yeah. Um, um, and at the same time, we do see the brother relationship too. Yeah, yeah for sure. And, and you do, you get the sense a bit um, that Anakin and, and Obi-Wan have a very unique kind of relationship that even though they're no longer master and apprentice, they still like, hang out all the time that they're still mm-hmm. in all these situations together because you know we we see later on in this season when kit fisto um sees his old apprentice that Arveb, you kind of got yeah. this sense that they had been apart for a while that you know that maybe a, a jedi custom is that after the apprentice has been knighted they have to go off and do a bunch of missions on their own before they're even really allowed to see their master again so that they can sort of break off of that master-apprentice relationship. Whereas Anakin and Obi-Wan, because of the war, they're kind of, you know, well, you guys fought so well together as master-apprentice, we'll stick you together as Jedi and Jedi. And, um, you know, Obi-Wan, like you said, David, has a bit of a difficulty, um, you know, seeing Anakin as something other than his Padawan. And I, I do think, again, as the series goes on, we do see them sort of progress into more of a equals kind of uh, ranking. But that's why in this arc I don't particularly see that, though. I don't see Obi-Wan uh, as later perceiving them as equal, to be honest. And Anakin wants that. He wants to feel that way. But, um, yeah, there were, like I said, there wasn't really any major, uh, you know, argument or split between the two. And like you said, there was a lot of good... Um, uh, humor between the two characters but I, I just in my mind I could see how Anakin would be a bit you know a bit annoyed about it because it's almost like Obi-Wan's I know, like you said David that he's not letting go he hasn't got over that whole master apprentice uh, relationship there yet so uh, I mean but yeah again it, it is very very early but um, I can see how Anakin would be getting particularly annoyed with his master for sure for sure, I, I I have a one final question for you guys. Um, I, I this was you know one of the early arcs for season one, 
and and it seemed to be very well received. And I wonder if they had of put this arc into the movie that we saw in theaters, you know, edit in, you know, do a little bit of playing around with the Christophsis battle and some of the dialogue in there and, you know, move the Jabba's son has been kidnapped plot to, to this point. And, you know, the malevolence had been the main threat in the Clone Wars movie. Do you think that the, the film would have been better received by critics and quote unquote fans? Um, uh, I'll ask you first, Kieran. What do you think of, of that idea? Yeah, that is uh, that is a very very good idea actually. I mean, I, I personally, I would I would actually agree with that. I think it, it would have made the film a bit better because you look at this and it is focusing on a number of particular characters, uh, the main the main characters which were actually throughout the whole series. You think you got Obi Wan, Anakin, Ahsoka. It brings Padme into the mix. You got the villains, Dooku and Grievous, who everyone knows. You don't know as much about Ventress. Uh, I think it would have been a good way, and in my mind, what I think is fantastic about this arc is that there is a lot of allusion to the classic Star Wars, and that that's what could draw a lot more people in. And it had a bit of everything. If you think about it, it had the space battles, but it also had you know the fight on the ships. So there was you know hand to hand combat. So in my mind, yeah, perhaps it would have made it well better received. Um, what do you think, David? You know, I agree. I, of course, I love everything about the clone wars and i do i do really really like the movie but i do think that the malevolence arc blended together as a movie and maybe with the christophsis stuff edited before it um to introduce ahsoka the way the movie did maybe it would have done a a better job setting the stage for for the tv series um just because it introduced so many key elements like we saw the plo ahsoka relationship come up we saw anakin and padme in action um, for one of those rare instances in the series where they were together. Um, we see Anakin and Obi-Wan. I, I, I do think that it would have, maybe it would have done a better job introducing a lot of the concept of the series to us. It yeah. had a lot of those important aspects. Yeah, I, yeah, that, that's sort of what I was getting at. Like yeah. you said, I, I love that movie as well. I love the way it plays out and, and what we got. I just wonder... You know, the Clone Wars movie was a bit of a, a risk in the sense that we got introduced to some things that we weren't necessarily expecting, like a, a hut that speaks English, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. that kind of stuff. And, you know, the malevolence might have been a safer bet because, like you said, it has all the prequel characters in it in situations we expect. And, you know, it, it might have it might have worked out a little bit better as a way to draw more people in. And once they were watching something on television rather than in the theater, they would have been a little bit more open to it. A hut that speaks like this. Um, (laughs) So I I think um, with that, uh, we will uh, wrap up this episode. So uh, we'll we'll do this. We do this every week um, or every episode, I should say. Um, David, um, what are your final thoughts on the episode on on this arc? And uh, what, what, what would you give it as a score out of 10? Oh boy, the whole arc, um, the Malevolence arc, it would have made a fantastic movie, that's for sure. It was very, uh, had very cinematic aspects with the, the epic space battles, and we, we got a couple good lightsaber duels out of Obi-Wan and Grievous. Um, I, I really liked how it established that Obi-Wan and Grievous had been wartime enemies far prior to what we see of them in Revenge of the Sith. I thought, I thought that was a great way to go with them. Um, 
Uh, overall, it was a, a really terrific arc in introducing us to a lot of what we could expect from the rest of the series. Um, rating it out of 10, I think... Uh, boy. <laughs> I'd have to give it, just because it was so, so early, um, maybe, maybe an 8. I would say that... Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> R- rising... Rising was a very good episode. Um, it was probably the best out of the three, and of course it's the one I remember the least, but it was a very good episode with the Plo Koon action, the clone action. Um, but but they were all really solid episodes. Um, great characters, great plot. Um, they're, they're very, very good episodes, and they, they hold up very well today, I think. For sure. For sure. And Kieran, final thoughts and uh, score out of 10? I don't know if we can do this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the system. I'm going to say eight and a half out of ten. Yeah. <laughs> Just to make it different, because I had eight out of ten as well. But but when I, when you were talking about it, I, I was going to give it eight, but then I thought, how much is there actually wrong with it? There's not yeah. a lot I can find at fault with it. But I think the main reason is because, one, I know of what's to come. And the, there were, the only jarring things, really, were about the droid humour a little bit and, I, and the Dooku... Um, kind of, you know, telling Grievous everything of what to do. I, I wasn't particularly a fan of that, but the rest of it, I think what's so good about this is this is classic Star Wars. There is so many references here. Uh, some subtle ones. You have the prequel stuff, particularly with the, the Grievous and Obi-Wan when Grievous jumps down and says, hello there. And, you know, you can see how that feeds into episode three. But um, my favourite part is the final part of the arc, but I think all of it's good. As you said, it introduces Plo Koon, you have Ahsoka, uh, seeing those two, the relationship there, and discussing it with you guys, you've got great stuff between, you know, with Anakin and Palpatine, Anakin and Padme. So in, in terms of character development, this is a fantastic episode, but also in terms of the plot and the action, I mean, in my mind, that final part is exactly, you know, you know chapter taken out of the Star Wars and New Hope. It's, it's like the fight on the Death Star, isn't it? In my opinion, oh, yeah. there's, there's, there's so much so much similarities. You know, Obi Wan says, "I'm going to make sure the hyperdrive stays offline." It's like he's going there to uh, in Episode Four uh, to get a tractor beam <laughs> offline, and and, and you've got Anakin and Padme doing their thing, a bit like Luke and Han, where they were they were trying to get the princess, and then Anakin and Padme were trying to disable the hyperdrive, and it, it was it was just fantastic. And then even the final bit with the with the chase bit like um when when they actually got out of the death star and they were being chased by the tie fighters and that's a bit like uh anakin and obi-wan in the twilight trying to get away from Grievous and his ward so it, it just seemed like a new hope and i just as much as i love that film as well in my mind that's why i'd give it an eight out of ten there's just so much good with this so and finally what about yourself dominic oh i, I i'm with you guys it's a, it's a definitely an 8.75 um <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's a fantastic, fantastic series of episodes. Um, you know, loved seeing all of the prequel characters in, in their proper places in a, a great little action, uh, action, action-oriented arc. And the, the number one thing about this arc is that it explains something about the original trilogy that I never understood. I never grasped in episode five what the hell the Ion Cannon was. I did not. I didn't get it. I didn't know what 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 its purpose was. It's like, oh, you shot the star destroyer, but it didn't blow up. Why is that? Now, after watching these episodes, I look at that scene in Empire completely differently. I understand why 
the Star why why the Ion Cannon is good, why they were able to get past the Star Destroyers. Um, it makes a lot more sense, and that is ultimately the, uh, the the best thing about this series is when it improves um, your your viewing experience of the six movies. Um, so. Uh, like I said, I think that it's time to uh, wrap up the show. Um, you can listen to the show each, every other Tuesday. Um, you can download the show on iTunes um, by subscribing to the Star Wars Underworld iTunes feed. That's, uh, just search Star Wars Underworld on iTunes. We will be getting our own uh, iTunes feed for The Clone Wars Strikes Back um, sometime before the next episode. Uh, but we'll continue to post a couple more episodes on the Star Wars Underworld feed just um, so everybody has time to uh, make the jump and doesn't forget and start wondering where the hell the show went um, speak, uh, don't forget to follow us on twitter at tcw strikes back you can like us on facebook facebook.com slash clone wars strikes back um, and of course send us an email clone wars strikes back at gmail.com let us know your thoughts on any of the episodes we've discussed so far whether it's the malevolence trilogy the movie um ambush supply supply lines um or any episodes coming up and uh you never know we might uh read them on the show um and don't forget you can also listen to my other star wars podcast the star wars underworld podcast which is recorded live every thursday at 9 p.m on channel 1138.com uh we break down all the latest breaking star wars news about episode 7 rebels clone wars bonus content anything we can think of and of course for all the latest breaking Star Wars news between all of all of the shows, visit StarWarsUnderworld.com and and you never know we might be getting some more bonus content updates sooner rather than later. So thank you everyone for listening. May the force be with you. <laughs>